This is an amazing story of what God has done, taking spiritually dead God-haters, changing them, and making them into his children. It's an amazing thing. Welcome to The Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and thanks for joining me in The Fox Den. Today we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and the reason why I'm going to do this is I think it describes the process of salvation very clearly. So grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians 2, and let's get started. Now, as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of introductory information. So the first thing I want to, to note here is how we're going to break this passage up. So really, we're going to break it into three parts, and we're going to see what we were, we're going to see what God did, and then we're going to see what we are. Now, the first thing I want you to note is that Paul is talking to Christians in Ephesus, and this is going to be important because of what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. So to help us understand that verse, we need to go back to Genesis. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see the creation of all things. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the creation of man. And there in verses 15 to 17, God gives Adam a command that he can eat from any, any tree of the, of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the day that he eats of it, he will surely die. And then we see in Genesis 3, 6 that Adam indeed eats the forbidden fruit, and therefore we have death, not just to Adam, but to all mankind. Now, Adam didn't die immediately when he ate, but God said in Genesis 2 that in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So though Adam didn't die physically, immediately following his disobedience, he died spiritually, and that affected the, uh, the entire human race. In fact, Paul tells us in verse 12 of Romans 5 that sin entered through Adam, through the one man, and spread to all mankind. So every person apart from Christ is spiritually dead. They are unresponsive to God. So let's go to verse 1 of Ephesians 2, and we'll see what we were. And Paul tells his readers that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. Now catch that verb. It is a past tense verb. They were dead, which means they're no longer dead. He's talking to Christians. And then he describes what it was like to be dead in their trespasses and sins. They followed the path of the world. They did the things that the world did. And and with joy. They loved the world. They followed the prince who rules the world. And he is the Spirit working in the sons of disobedience. And Paul admits, all of us followed the same course. We lived in our sinful passions. We loved it. We carried out the desires of our sinful bodies and our sinful minds. And in that condition, we were objects of God's wrath. Now, I want you to understand something here. People who are spiritually dead want nothing to do with God. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 7, that the mind that is set on the flesh hates God is at war with God, wants nothing to do with God. He refuses to obey God. But if you turn to Romans 8, 7, and you look at the very end of that verse, not only does the mind set on the flesh hate God and refuse to submit to God, he is unable to submit to God. That's why this passage is so important, because it shows us that it was necessary for God to act first. So we see at the beginning of Ephesians 2 what we were. We were spiritually dead, joyfully living in our sinful desires. And in that state, we were anti-God. And then we see what God did. Verse 4 has a very important conjunction. It's a contrasting conjunction. 
And it shows us that there's a change. We were dead, but God did something. And God did something based on his mercy and his love. It says that even when we were dead, God made us alive with Christ. I want you to catch that. In this verse, we didn't ask for anything. We were dead, but God made us alive. Notice how God is the one who took the initiative, and God, by his power, is the one who took action and made us alive. And then he nullifies any thought that we might have that we did something for him to move and make us alive with Christ. He says, by grace you have been saved. And then notice there's two more verbs that he uses. He raised us with Christ, and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. So we were dead, and God did three things. He made us alive with Christ, raised us with Christ, seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. So we were spiritually dead, and yet God made us spiritually alive. And he raised us with Christ. Christ rose physically from the dead, and his resurrection is our resurrection. We will rise physically from the dead when Christ returns, but spiritually we have risen from the dead. But that last verb, I want you to notice... God seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. And I want you to notice the tense of these verbs. The past tense made us alive with Christ, raised us with Christ, seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. God has already done these things. We're not waiting for him to make us alive with Christ. We're not waiting for him to raise us with Christ. Physically, yes, not spiritually. We're not waiting for him to seat us with Christ in the heavenly places. He's already done this. You see, our home isn't here on earth. Our home is in heaven. We're just waiting to go home. And then I want you to see what he says in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You see, God made you alive with Christ, raised you with Christ, seated you with Christ in the heavenly places simply because it pleased him to do so. That's what it means by grace. The other thing about grace is it removes all works on your part. He didn't save you because he needed you on his team. He saved you because it pleased him to do so. You see, grace stands in opposition to our works. We're saved by his grace alone, not by our works. And it's the same thing with faith. We receive it by faith. We trust it to be true, and we hold on to it. And that, too, is counter to works. You see, we don't earn it. We receive it freely by faith. And then notice what he says at the end of verse 8. And this is not your own doing. You see, this is what God has done. And then also notice, it's a gift from God. So what is a gift from God? The whole thing. The salvation, the spiritual life, even the faith that God requires is a gift from him. And look at verse 9. God is removing from us any thought that we have done this on our own. Not a result of works. You see, we didn't do this. We didn't work our way into heaven. We didn't earn our way into heaven. This is purely by his grace. And why did he do this? End of verse 9. So we can't brag about it. So we see at the beginning of Ephesians 2 what we were. And then we see, really in verses 4 to 9, what God did. And now we see what we are. His workmanship. You see, God took a spiritually dead sinner made him alive with Christ, raised him with Christ, seated him with Christ in the heavenly places. God took his enemy and he made him alive with Christ, raised him with Christ, seated him with Christ in the heavenly places. You see, he created us in Christ. And remember what we did back there in verses 1 through 3? 
following the desires of our sinful minds, our sinful bodies? Well, now he's changing us so that we do good works. This is an amazing story of what God has done, taking spiritually dead God-haters, changing them, and making them into his children. It's an amazing thing. And he did this not because you deserved it, because you earned it, because it pleased him to do so. So why is this important? Well, first, I think it shows us the, the process of salvation, and it shows us our inability to save ourselves, or to say it another way, the necessity for God to save us because of our own inability. You see, we were dead, but God made us alive. It shows a shift. We were objects of wrath. Now we're his workmanship. And it removes from us any thought that we have earned this salvation or have done any kind of thing to, to save ourselves. You see, it humbles us. We can't take credit for this. We can't tell God how great of a job that we have done. We have to stand before him and admit, I've done nothing to deserve this. This is purely by your grace. And recognize that God has done it all. And because of that, it provides us with comfort. You see, if I did nothing to save myself, I can't do anything to unsave myself. Your salvation is a work of God. God did not offer you this, and then it's up to you to receive it. When you were dead, God made you alive with Christ, raised you with him, seated you with him in the heavenly places. You are his workmanship. And if God saved you when you hated him, he's not going to kick you out of the kingdom. So this should provide a great deal of comfort. So as an assignment, this is what I would like to ask you to do. Take some time to try to memorize this verse or this passage. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. I don't think it's necessary to remember word for word. You want to remember the idea of what's going on. But take time to memorize this passage. Even write it down and put it on the mirror or uh, someplace where you're going to see it on a regular basis. So this continues to remind you of God's grace. Because the Christian life is filled with ups and downs, And I think this is a great passage to fall back on, to remind you of God's grace on your life. So the first part of the assignment, take time to memorize this verse. And then second, take some time to thank God for the grace that he has bestowed to you. We can never thank God enough, and he has blessed us beyond measure. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us at the beginning of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Do you realize there is not a spiritual blessing that we do not have at this very moment? We may go without food. We may have a hard time paying the bills. But at this moment in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. So take time to thank God for the blessings that he has bestowed to you. And finally, rest in God's grace. Our tendency as believers is to think that we have to earn God's favor. Apart from Christ, that's impossible. So know that God has bestowed his grace to you in Christ and rest in that grace.